Good morning, everybody. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning. Uh, we're going to start our series on 2 Corinthians. Um, we're going to be doing a read through a big chunk of the text uh, this morning. So we'll be have, going, doing a lot of reading. Um, I have a couple of uh, housekeeping comments before we get started. Before that, I've asked Brother Roy to lead us in opening prayer. Father in heaven, Yahweh the Most High, we thank you for this opportunity and the freedom we have to assemble as your people, to study your holy word. As we study Second Corinthians, we pray that you will grant us understanding and enlightenment to what your word teaches. We pray to you as a teacher, and you will lead them in understanding that they may convey the truth, and we might all be blessed. We thank you for all the blessings we share in your Son. We thank you for most of all for the blessing of his atoning blood. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, just a couple of things. Uh, through the duration of the class, I think we pretty well have it set. We'll be sitting in these two-thirds uh, of the auditorium. If you have any comments, make sure that you raise your hand. I, I want a lot of uh, participation. If you have questions or comments, feel free to do that. We do have a couple of mic runners, so... Um, if you, ha if you have something to say, just hold up and we'll try and get one of those to you uh, pretty quickly. Um, a couple of other things uh, that we may try throughout the class. I like, try I like giving out questions for you to uh, reflect on. Those will be sent out through emails. However, I'm not going to necessarily stick to those questions. Um, I really just want you to be in the text. Just be constantly reading through it um, and, and see what we can learn. Through that, I do have a couple of uh, study tools if that might help. Um, what I have up on the board, uh, and you might have seen the QR codes in the back if you're tech savvy, uh, there, this is called Padlet, and it's sort of a discussion board where you can put questions out there, sort of like what you see in our daily Bible reading schedule. You can put questions, you can put comments, you can answer the questions uh, and, and have discussion outside the class, or you can do that during class, and that could be... Uh, a different way in which we, we share our ideas. It's not necessary, and we, we may abandon it later, but it's something that we might try and use. Um, another thing, there are some in the back, and you didn't necessarily need them for today's class, but I've made some copies of a, of a fill-in-the-blank uh, worksheet that has a little chart that you can use for pretty well any chapter in, in 2 Corinthians, or any text, really, just questions about uh, what you learn about uh, God, what you see in Paul and the church, other kinds of questions, applications that you can see. So uh, we may not necessarily go through this in every class, but if it's a good study tool that, that uh, benefits you, by all means, grab them. There's plenty back there. We'll be, make more copies throughout the course. So. Um, you don't need that uh, for today's class, but uh, afterwards you can go ahead and grab some. So, um, my goal for this opening class is for us to uh, look at uh, the first half at least, and maybe even more, of 2 Corinthians. We just got done with a great class on 1 Corinthians, uh, and this is a continuation to the same audience. Um, and so we'll, we may be making some references uh, to 1 Corinthians, but um, I'd like for us to end our reading today just to go through the text. We'll actually do a couple of chapters at a time, and what I want you to be thinking of is what are some things that are popping out to you, uh, things that you might have known before, but it's just something that, that uh, comes back to mind, or maybe a question that you've had, or something that pops up, and, and we'll not necessarily dive into them today, but over the course of the next three months, we'll be looking at some of those comments and questions and, and things like that. 
Um, just a little bit of background uh, before we get into the book. Of course, this is what we call 2 Corinthians. A little bit of background of Paul uh, and his interactions with Corinth. We see in Acts chapter 18 that uh, he visits there. Uh, there's a lot of opposition early on, but uh, the Lord tells him to stay. He, so he stays there for a year and a half. Um, and then on his subsequent journeys, he eventually writes a letter to them that we don't have. I call it Zero Corinthians. Uh, so uh, we don't have that, but we, we see that they have questions after that. And eventually uh, he writes 1 Corinthians while in Ephesus. Um, at some point, there might have been another visit to Corinth. He, he leaves and comes back. Um, a couple of verses that might stand uh, that might give reason to a second visit uh, in chapter 12, verse 14. In chapter 13, verse 1, he references coming to visit them a third time. So perhaps that that may mean that he had a second visit. Um, and perhaps and. and I'm not firm on this, but he might have written a letter between 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Um, chapter 1, verse 15, 2, verse 3, and 7, verse 8, refer to writing a letter or a difficult letter. And, and as I read it, that may not necessarily be 1st Corinthians. So I call that 1 and a half Corinthians. Um, and so, uh, and so that was sent by the hand of Titus. Um, he he's called to to uh, preach at Troas, but he leaves there hunting uh, uh, Titus down in Macedonia. And soon after finding Titus, he he writes Second Corinthians to them. Anywhere from fifty six to fifty eight A.D. Um, and so that's a little bit of the background on it for us, but uh, use that if, if that helps. Um, other thoughts or uh, questions before we, before we get into the text? Again, we're going to be doing several uh, chunks. In fact, we'll be doing a couple of chapters at a time. So uh, as we go in, again, be, it, be looking for things that stand out to you, perhaps common words, phrases, themes that come uh, in the text, or any questions you're like, you know what, what does this mean? Just, just, just take note of that, and, and uh, we may make a comment or two in the class today, but we may just jot it down and discuss it in a later class. So let's go ahead and get into it. Um, we'll have uh, Craig, if you would read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and then Phil, if you wouldn't mind reading chapter 2. So we'll read chapters 1 and 2, and then uh, open it up for some comments. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the hold of the cave. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. 
you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledged, and I hope you will fully acknowledge, just as you did partially acknowledge us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us, and we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that I might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and to come back to you from Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea? Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As assuredly as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in him it was all it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our Amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who also put his seal on us and gave us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you, for you stand firm in your faith. But I determined this for my own sake, that I would not come to you in sorrow again. For if I cause you sorrow, who then makes me glad, but the one whom I make sorrowful? This is the very thing I wrote to you, so that when I come, I would not have sorrow from those who ought to make me rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy would be the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you for many tears, with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. But if you cause, but if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which has inflicted, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I write, so that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who have been saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ, 
in the sight of God. Thank you. Yes, Ms. Packer. I was thinking of the first part there, that the God of all comforts enables us to comfort others because we've been afflicted to the extent that we have difficulty comforting others. We may not have the afflictions that we might could have had. And what I'm saying is we must be thankful for the afflictions, for the sorrows, for the heartaches, because it is that through which we can comfort others. Very good. So the, the theme of comfort, the theme of affliction, you see that used a lot in uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, but you're actually going to see that throughout the entire book. You'll see allusions to the, the trials and afflictions that, that uh, Paul goes through and how he finds strength in that so that he can be an encouragement uh, to others. Um, uh, very good point. What else stands out to you guys uh, in this section? Themes or phrases or even questions that they have. Yes, Jesse. Uh, I'm sure we'll cover this more, but uh, in chapter 2 where it talks about not, not being too severe, uh, I can only assume that that was the one potentially that that requires some discipline in the first chapter. And um, for me, if I'm told, you should you should judge that person, I'm real quick to judge that person. Uh, and I think he's cognizant that maybe if you take it a little too far, you don't want to overwhelm someone with that. That's not the goal. The goal is not to, to prove their wrongness, but to restore them to righteousness. And that's a good point. The I, the a uh, person who needs restoration, forgiveness in chapter 2 may or may not be the person from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll get into that a little bit more in the future. Um, but there is such a thing as being too severe. Uh, and so what does that look like? What's, uh, um, what does... Um, what does... Uh, co-discipling and discipline look like and and the ultimate goal is restoration it's um it's not um exclusion and being done with that so good some of the other questions again that that you might see on the board um do you see any connections between first and second corinthians are they similar in any ways or are they different in any ways um, what else? Go, oh, go ahead. This, this almost seems like the Christ <coughs> because he, in First Corinthians, he just cut it open to believe. He just laid it out there. But he kept saying, we have to do these things, but we have to do these things in love. And in 2 Corinthians, he keeps emphasizing, I don't want to cause sorrow. I mean, what he told them in 1 Corinthians should have caused a lot of sorrow. But now he's saying, I want to take that love that I talked to you about in 1 Corinthians and show you what that looks like. I don't want to cause any more sorrow. I want to now show you how to love out of that. That's, that's a good point. There are a lot of issues that we see addressed in 1 Corinthians. You see a divisive nature and putting misplaced trust in, in earthly wisdom and spiritual leaders. You see fornication. You see mistreatment of, of the Lord's Supper and meat sacrificed to idols and a bunch of other things going on. Um, and, and Paul mentions that, and we, we talk about this throughout the class, that, that love is the answer. And in 2 Corinthians, we see... Paul exemplifying what that love is going to uh, look like. He, by the way that he behaves, the way that he writes to them is in that spirit of love. 
Very good. Anything else before we move on into some more uh, chapters? Let's go with Leanne and Lisa. I just really appreciate verse 20 of chapter 1. It says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Um, I think, you know, Paul's referencing his plans. <clears throat> but I can't help but think back to everything he talked to me about in verse 20. Mm-hmm. that no matter how difficult you say yes to Christ, and Christ is going to bless you through these promises of God. A- absolutely. Uh, the fulfillment of uh, all of God's promises, we uh, find their yes. Uh, in, in Jesus. Very good. Lisa? Chapter 2, the fragrances really stood out to me this time. Um, I've never really connected with the whole aroma of sacrifice to God thing because that just kind of makes me think of an altar full of burning animals. That never really connected with me. But now I'm reading it different. I'm seeing him saying that our knowledge of him spreads as a fragrance. And it just made me think. And then he compares how the fragrance can be life-giving fragrance or it can be death. And that really was a good contrast to me because death smells a lot different than life. And we just, in our being, in our thoughts, and obviously this is saying that our hearts are kind of the source of some of that fragrance that people are going to be aware of. Absolutely. That that theme of fragrance, and we're going to see that... Procession, that triumphal procession uh, laid out, and how it does have different effects. So we'll go with Craig, Alan, Jen, and then we'll we'll probably move on. I, I just appreciate his confidence in these people. He's he's asking hard things of them, and yet he still says, like in verse three of chapter two, "I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be." You know, so I hear a parent with his children. Listen to me. I want you to obey. This is going to be hard, but I know you can do it. And I, I, I feel like I, I sense that throughout the letter. And that's a good point. But, uh, yeah, reading it through the lens of a parent speaking to their children. Very good. Yes? His connection to Titus, he loved him so much and he claimed that he did not find him there. Oh, that we could be an encouragement to someone so much that there would be a pain and they wouldn't find us. Very good. The, the, doing a character study of Titus, even in this book, is, is very interesting. Yes, um, Kind of tagging along with what Jesse said, in chapter 2, he talked about um, that he wrote the letter in great anguish, with a troubled heart and many tears. And I think if correction is done correctly, then you are the father waiting, watching for the son to return. And it is their pain is your pain. So giving the news of, you know, things are not lining up with God's path, that would be so difficult because you love them and it would be difficult for them to hear. So it's kind of like a sharing of pain, and I see that here. And I think that's the right way to restore someone. Very good. Yeah, that. Uh, not. We are zealous to encourage one another to love and good deeds, to, to help each other get closer to Christ, but not so zealous as to come down on everyone uh, for every infraction. Very good. Let's go ahead and get into some more chapters of this. Um, let's go ahead. Let's have Logan, uh, if you would read chapter 3. And then Russ, would you mind reading chapter 4 for us? Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some, letters of com- commendation to you or from You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, made manifested that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, on tablets of, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death and letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses, 
because the face, because the glory of his face fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? And for if the ministry of the commendation has glory, much more does this ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what, what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory which surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech, and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, that the sons of Israel will not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds are hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from the same image, from glory to glory, just as in the Lord, the Spirit. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are, are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Thank you. Okay. Continuing in this, uh, we see uh, back in chapter 2, verse 12, uh, that Paul speaks of uh, in verse 13 also, that he finds no rest until uh, Titus uh, comes. And he doesn't really speak of what happened when Titus uh, got there until halfway through chapter 7. So he uses halfway through chapter 2 to halfway through 7 to sort of talk about why he is the way he is. What hit the way in which he uh, conducts himself, what it means to be uh, not just an apostle, but just a disciple of Christ. And you're going to see that in uh, chapters 3 and 4 and in the following chapters. Um, so, what questions do you have? What thoughts come to mind uh, in this section? Yeah. Both Roy and then I just think it's interesting, verse 7, 
the Ten Commandments, just the Ten Commandments for the ministry of death that was engraved on the stone. Man can't even keep those ten without failing. So we definitely need the atoning blood of Jesus. Good point. That theme of uh, the ministry of death, you also see in verse 9, referred to as the ministry of condemnation. Uh, and we'll see that contrast between, between uh, what was uh, before Christ and what Christ ultimately fulfilled. Yes, Alan. I was just going to say, basically, that I have used that passage so many times to talk about the difference between the old law and the new law, the condemnation of death, and life in the spirit. And, and talk about the, the, the veil still being there and taken away. And it's so clear to just take a pen and just go through it. And every time it contrasts one thing, circle it. Every time it contrasts the other, underline it. And by the time you get done, anybody can see that there's a difference between the old and the new. Very good. Yes, Gary. see a lot here in the second letter that Paul is, feels like he needs to defend himself and his apostleship. You know, the uh, was mentioning that he had great confidence in them that they would respond correctly and I have no doubt that that was a large portion of the people there but there was a portion of the people there that were responding with ah who is this Paul he can't trust him he can't believe him he said he's going to Yes, and he, he says no, and he can't believe what he says. And so there's there's people that are throwing a lot of doubt out in the congregation as to whether they should even be listening to this Paul. Who is he? Is he, real, is he really an apostle? You know. So we see that Paul is there's a, a constant theme of defending his apostleship throughout this letter. That's a good point. The the idea of. Um, Apparently, at some point in, uh, while he was away, there were people who started to question um, his, his authority, his apostleship, and starting to ca- uh, plant seeds of doubt in their brethren. Uh, and uh, he addresses that. Um, and, and a lot of people will say, especially in chapters 10 through 13, um, that he's really, he really dives into defending himself. Um, and perhaps a lot of people, they see that and like he's defending himself, but we today, we, we, we understand that he's an apostle. So eh, let's not necessarily read Second uh, Corinthians. It's not that important of, of a text. But uh, there, there is importance in, in this. And, and to the point of him defending himself, um, there is a sense in which he's not necessarily um, doing it just for himself. Um, you can see in chapter 12, we're not going to get to that today, but chapter 12, verses 19 and 20. Uh, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves or defend ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. He's speaking not necessarily as, I'm going to defend myself and defend myself and defend myself to the death, but he's saying, everything that I've been writing up to this point, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about, it's, and it's really for your edification. I'm wanting to build you up. And we'll see that contrast with the false apostles, the false teachers. They, they don't have uh, the best uh, concern for, for the church. Whereas Paul is writing uh, in sincerity and in truth. Yes. I just find it so interesting at the beginning of three when he's talking about what commending ourselves, or do we need some letters of commendation from you or to you? He said, You are our letter, having been written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. So and he's saying, we don't need, if you do, 
love, if you do obey the things out of love, you're going to look just like what we taught. And you will be learned. And it just shows the importance of people doing the right things. I mean, you can preach to people, or you can read this whole thing to people, but if they don't see that in translated in your life, if you aren't the living word, then it's, it's useless. And I think he said, written on the stones is useless, but your life, we won't need a letter of commendation if you're living what we taught you. That will be our letter. And that's a good point, that idea of being a living epistle and uh, having that uh, manifesting the gospel in our lives. Uh, yeah, Russ and then Bob. It's the emphasis uh, on the Spirit. It's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 22, that we are sealed with the Spirit. And then in chapter 3, um, where the emphasis, emphasis is of the, the new covenant is the Spirit. Um, not that the Spirit wasn't at work in the Old Testament, but we just see the Spirit at work a lot in, in the New Covenant. Um, that's one of the things that Paul brings out in chapter 3. That's a good point. Yeah, the, the work of the Spirit we see in almost every chapter. Bob and John. In chapter, in the first part of the book, he brings out uh, the God of all comfort and then uh, uh, the uh, The, the afflictions, the troubling, uh, and so why is all this, how can we get through this? And he had just sent a very uh, stern letter, and, and so, you know, you might be thinking, what's the use? He goes on here and says, this is why. I didn't come because I didn't want to come harshly. I wanted to give you time to repent. God, everything that I preached and that will continue to preach is for one purpose, for you to grow in Christ. And so it goes to the point, uh, what they had under the old law, it was good, but it came with consequences, came with death. The new law is the way out of that. It is the way for redemption that you can have. There's the hope. There's the comfort from God. You don't have to worry about your old sins. Even with all of the uh, persecution and things that you'll have to go through, God is still watching over you. You may not like the answers. You may not like what you have to go through, but realize this is for him. You can make it. And I think he continues that thought throughout this chapter. Of, you know, this is the new covenant which gives us, uh, it gives chapter life of the gospel. The reason that he delayed, and, and that's the one fault that the false preachers uh, have against him is as he changed his plans, he does that out of concern for them. Yeah, Jill. Um, I just saw a connection, I think, um, at the end of chapter 3, um, Paul uses the same analogy of a mirror, like looking in a mirror, as he does in First Corinthians 13. So I, just, I guess it's kind of a question, I'm just curious how maybe these two passages can kind of illuminate each other. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's something that in my reading I've, like, that, that's an interesting connection there, uh, that uh, what is he meaning by beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image? Yes, Alan. I am so encouraged by the fact that he says we did not lose our, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self has been renewed by day. It's a momentary affliction, but it's counterweighted by the, the glory of eternity. Isn't that an amazing contrast that we see there? Uh, the momentary light affliction in contrast to the eternal weight of glory 
And I think that ties in and transitions well into the following chapters. Let's go ahead um, and move on into uh, chapters 5 through 7. I'd like to at least get through uh, 7 today. So um, if I could have uh, Tony and Katrine, would you uh, mind reading chapters 5 and 6? And then uh, Mike Shepard, if you wouldn't mind reading chapter 7. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this room, earthly desiring to be clothed with our habitation just from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we should not be found naked. For we who are in this tent grown, being birthed, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has us for this very thing is God, who also gave us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men that we are, we are well known to God, and I also trust that are known in your consciousness. For we do not commend ourselves against you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because, of the ju- because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the mystery of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now that we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Remain him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, and yet are true. As unknown, and yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. We spoke, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. 
You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? For what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Theo? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What argument has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all your affliction. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in the matter. So, although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason we have been comforted, and besides our comfort, we rejoiced even much more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit had been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I had boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice in that in everything I have confidence in you. Thank you. All right. We have a couple of minutes left, but anything quick that, as far as questions or themes that, that stand out to you in this section? When I was going through biblical counseling, one of the things that stood out to me was they made me memorize verse 9. So whether we were at home or away, we make our age please Him. And it was constantly, are you pleasing Him? Are you pleasing Him? Keep coming back to that. Are you pleasing Him? What, what would people say is our aim in life? And you can see that in how we live. You can't say my aim is one thing, but I'm living in a different way. That's a good point. Other things? <coughs> or questions? I have a lot of questions about chapter 6. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Katrina. Uh, I just think it's really interesting in the end of five piece um, we already talked about the, the 
you know, the momentary light affliction is preparing us for eternal weight. And then, um, or the force, right? And then he goes on and says, well, the oldest passed away, and then six, uh, yeah, then the new has come, and six is like, okay, so the way that you shed the old and get ready for heaven is to get beat up in life. <laughs> we have shown you how this works. Amen. To get torn up and beat up and humbled. And then you'll be ready for heaven. I had a friend once tell me, you know, you can only know happiness the same amount that you've known sadness. And I feel like that's a similar concept that we, we can't even begin to fathom the amazingness that we're headed towards. But maybe a taste of the negative in this life will get us really excited about what's coming. Okay. Good thoughts. A couple of quick things before we wrap up. A couple of theme verses, if you want to jot any down. Um, chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 is, is a key text. as sort of seeing what the issue is uh, with the Corinthian brethren. We've spoken openly to you. Our hearts are open wide, O Corinthians. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. And so seeing that through the entire book. Another uh, section you might consider is in the last chapter, chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 6. Uh, chapter 13, verses 1 through 6, especially verse 5. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you are disqualified? Um, looking at the entire book as a sort of test as to what does it look like for Christ to be in us. If you uh, uh, want that link again to the Padlet or if you want any of the sheets in the back as study tools, by all means I, we encourage you guys to use those. Thank you all very much.